This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, Welcome back, everyone. This is the second part of our podcast with Dr. Mary Kennedy. Dr. Mary Kennedy is a physical activity specialist, researcher, author, and a coach. Dr. Kennedy is a postdoctoral research fellow at the Institute of Nutrition Research at Edith Cohen University. Her research focus is integrating exercise and nutrition into standard healthcare practice. In her doctoral research, she has been studying the implementation barriers to integrating exercise as medicine in oncology. So welcome back, Mary. Um, we will start in this second part of the of the podcast episode. We are going to talk about physical activity and the benefits to cancer patients. But I know that you are passionate about running. And especially you have been helping beginners to run a marathon. Why has it been so important to you? And what is your philosophy when coaching someone to run a marathon? Yeah, so I think marathon running really has been such a important part of my own um, sort of personal journey in life. Um, it's It's been, uh, we call them the people I've worked with have called them the gifts of the marathon. You know, people think of a marathon and it's, you know, a really long, seems crazy event. And the, my experience with that, my experience helping others is over the course of um, learning to set goal, like take a, take on a challenge that seems impossible and break that challenge down into little pieces that are doable and watch yourself develop to be able to, do things you never knew were possible um, is such a metaphor for life. And what you get out of going through that process is just such an incredible gift that helps you in so many ways in life. So I ran my first marathon back in the year 2000, sort of joined a group, was that person who just, it was a huge dream, but never thought it was possible. I, I was not a strong runner or any of that in my life. And it um, was just such an amazing experience. And I ended up um, working with that organization to coach other people just like myself through that. Um, and then ultimately ended up, uh, it's a really lovely story. One of the runners I coached to run her first marathon, she um, was so inspired. She started a program for high school kids because she wanted to give them the gifts she got from running the marathon. And we ended up running that nonprofit together for several years. And um, the goal of that was to empower kids through marathon running. And that seems crazy, but the idea, she really was inspired. She said, I want to help the kids who sit alone at lunch and who aren't, who don't belong somewhere else. And, um, Gosh, I'm just, I could talk about it all day. It's, it brings such joy to me. Those kids, you know, yes, they ran a marathon, but it was never about that. When you asked them what was the best thing, it was, I now have friends. I know I belong somewhere. I know I can do anything I set my mind to. And so I really bring that with me to everything I do. And also I bring that concept, um, to exercise. Like exercise should be, empowering it should be enjoyable i mean every run of my life is not enjoyable um but the you know what it gives me back is so huge and 
being able to give other people, um, to empower other people to know what their body can do um, if they, you know, set their mind to it. And I think that's the philosophy I used when I did personal training as well is, you know, I need to make me irrelevant. You know your body. You can use it. How can I help you learn what you need to know to do that? So, yeah, marathon running, and it's sort of my go-to when I just need to get myself back on track and, you know, remind myself that I can – break things down into little goals and just put one foot in front of the other. Cool. Do you, do you, have you been uh, following up these kids? Like, do you know, did they continue running or? Many of them have continued running. Yeah. The program still um, exists. I, you know, I left to come here to do my PhD, but yeah, the kids, um, they'll write back to us from college. Some of them have started their own little running clubs in college, which is really exciting. So, and, and they all, um, it's just such a part, you know, kids come home and get back together with their high school. And, and this, it was called dream for our high school marathon. Um, they come back to see, you know, their, their friends and, and talk to the the new runners about what they did. It's really, um, it's just such a special experience. So I encourage any of the listeners, if you have any interest in running a marathon, do it. Um, it's truly, they said it'll change your life and it really did change mine. Um, and so I encourage everyone to give it a try. We have a bit of a shared interest here. I, I do trail running marathons and I'm definitely not like, you know, haven't been a runner previously. So some years ago, uh, my friends asked me to do this um, mountain marathon of 34 kilometers. So I was like thinking, okay, I could try it. And so I, I totally like uh, the part where you said that it's empowering that you you have a goal and you'll try whether you can do it. And if you can do it, then afterwards, the feeling it's empowering, I think, to other segments of life. So I agree with you there. It's funny that uh, Jamie was the woman that I worked with and we were both answering a questionnaire um, and they asked us, what's the thing you're most proud of in your life? And separately, we both talked about a marathon we finished. Um, and I do think it's important, you know, when you think about if you want to run a marathon tomorrow, that's not realistic. And I think that's important for a lot of the things we do. We set these goals that are really huge and we get mad at ourselves that we can't do it immediately. But if you start to take that big goal and break it down into smaller chunks and understand what you need, um, it's really so helpful. And, you know, as I said, really comes back to so many other parts that I have to, you know, remind myself in life like, no, you know, it takes time. You have to train to, to do things. So I think it's, yes, empowering in a lot of and instructive in many ways in life. Um, so we will now shift back to the physical activity and uh, cancer care. We already talked about physical activity and what it gives to you mentally and um, and also physically, but evidence supporting the benefits of exercise for people with cancer has grown exponentially over the past two decades, demonstrating a clear benefit. I'm still afraid that even in the healthcare and fitness sector, we are not so familiar with the new research and combining cancer care with exercise. Could you explain a bit more in detail what does current research tell us about the benefits of exercise in cancer care? Yeah, and I think it's important um, to really understand sort of how we got here. Um, you're right. I think um, a lot of people don't know about it and and actually have the opposite view that someone with cancer probably shouldn't exercise and that really was the common thinking um 
back in, you know, the 80s and before then, it was seen as, you know, you should preserve people's um, ability to, you know, because energy is, is um, low and, and all that. And it wasn't until the late 80s that the first study in exercise was even done. So, you know, in the world of research, that's not very long. But since then, um, you know, as you said, it's really grown exponentially. And the first set of physical activity guidelines um, actually came out of both um, <clears throat> of the American College of Sports Medicine and Exercise Sports Science Australia in 2009, 2010. And at that time, um, again, shifting from bed rest, the guidelines really could support the general physical physical activity by advice for people, which was, um, you know, some is good, more is better. Um, and getting people with cancer to be active is beneficial for the most part. Um, and it's safe. And that was really quite groundbreaking when that came out because it, you know, wasn't so clear. What's incredible is in the decade, really, since those initial guidelines came out, there's been so many um, studies done and published that a new set of guidelines um, were released in 2019. And what those guidelines are now able to do um, is be a bit more specific. So now we know that exercise um, does play a role in the prevention of seven uh, common cancers. Um, and that's with the physical activity guidelines for Americans, dose of 150 to 300 minutes per week of moderate activity. Um, we know it plays a role in the survival of three common cancers, which are breast, colon, and prostate cancers. Um, and there's strong evidence for exercise to have a role in cancer-related fatigue, health-related quality of life, physical function, anxiety, depression, and lymphedema, and moderate evidence that it plays a role in bone health and sleep. Now, to understand, you know, when we're talking about cancer, the challenge that's very different to talking about, say, exercise's role with diabetes prevention is diabetes is diabetes, where cancer is so many different diseases, you know, depends on the location, depends on the type. There's a lot of variables in there. And so you have to understand to distill that research down into a general overall advice is really, really difficult. And, you know, we have a lot of research in the areas of breast, prostate, colorectal cancer, not so many in, say, lung cancer, you know, some of the other uh, less common cancers. So it's, it's hard to say a blanket. This is, you know, if someone comes in, I know what's good. You know, this general advice is good for you. But what you can see is, you know, in a relatively short amount of time, we've been able to make a lot of um, headway in terms of understanding what the power of exercise is in the major cancers. And now with more funding and people looking at different types and having more of a nuanced understanding of it, we're, we're you know, continuing on that path. Um, and so, yeah, I think that the, the key message to people is, um, it is good. It does play a role. And the, the biggest benefit it has, you know, it's really counterintuitive to think, well, someone with cancer, cancer-related fatigue is a huge issue for them. And so exercise seems like the wrong thing to do. But in fact, people who exercise actually have less fatigue. So what exercise really can do is um, 
counteract the side effects of treatment that people are going through because there's so many negative side effects of treatment and exercise has a strong role. And that's why when I take, you know, my implementation work, we don't want to wait until the patient is finished with treatment to, to get them involved in it. The fact is from the minute of diagnosis, we know keeping people physically healthy can prepare them for surgery. And there's a lot of research done in the prehabilitation space. We know that keeping them active and, you know, so things like resistance training that can have a role in um, improved bone health and, and there's, you know, bounding and, and leaping and those kinds of exercises that are, um, that have impact loading exercises. Um, Many of the treatments have bone loss, you know, will result in bone loss. If we can get somebody doing activities that can help them maintain bone, you know, it's important to understand you're not going to see the same benefits in somebody going through treatment that you would see in a, in a otherwise healthy person. But if you can keep them moving and counteract those treatment effects as much as possible, then when they get to the end of treatment, their um, physical function is as high as it possibly can be that then gets them on the trajectory back to to their you know usual high quality of life if you you know start them don't do anything they have surgery they go down they have other treatments they go down um then the place they're starting from is really difficult to get back out of so keeping somebody active even though it doesn't seem it seems counterintuitive has huge uh, impact in there. And, and the other thing to remember is with all the um, advancements with cancer treatment, people are living a lot longer. And so in some ways it's considered to be a chronic disease and how can we make those years of life the highest quality possible and getting people exercising during treatment is a big piece of that puzzle. Um, But that is to all say, you know, we don't know everything about every type of cancer and, for some patients, it may not be, you know, you have to really know how to use exercise and, and what's safe. But um, it's it's really, it's the research is really exciting in this area. And I encourage any exercise professional who's interested in it. You know, the um, ACSM has a certification that you can get, can get around um working with people with cancer, um, look into this field. It's, it's growing. Um, we're doing a lot of work. I'm, I'm working with the moving through cancer task force, uh, through the American college of sports medicine. And, um, that task force has the bold goal of making exercise standard of care by 2029, um, and getting a workforce that's actually capable of doing that, um, of meeting that call to knowing the nuanced needs of people with cancer is a really big part of the puzzle. So, um, and yeah, I, the ACSM guidelines are uh, widely available and, and I'll share the link with you if people are interested in, in looking through them and, and understanding the research a bit more. Join to stop the worldwide pandemic of inactivity. Are you a medical doctor, physical therapist, personal trainer? or someone else helping individuals in making a change towards a healthier, better life. Imagine a behavior change tool designed for professionals like you to help your clients achieve better results and at the same time provide you with more income. Fibian is that tool. It offers an evidence-based way for health and wellness professionals to extend their services into coaching. 
The only thing your client needs to do is put a tiny Fibian device into their pocket for a week. No buttons, no apps, no Bluetooth connections, just a foolproof way to get scientifically accurate data easily. The device collects subjective physical activity data from your client. Furthermore, it forms easy-to-understand visual feedback and lifestyle suggestions towards healthier choices that you can present and discuss with your client. An individual approach encourages and motivates clients to change their lifestyle patterns and gives you an opportunity to strengthen your expert status and distinguish from competition. Fibian helps you to educate and coach your clients through this change towards a more active and healthy life. Strengthen your expert status. Distinguish yourself from the competition. Order Fibian now at Fibian.com. That's F-I-B-O-N dot com. Oh, thank you. Uh, we will have the information all in the description of, of this uh, episode. Um, you were mentioning that... Uh, you know, what usually probably happens is that when people start cancer treatment, then the physical activity um, goes down a lot because uh, because probably that it's not advised and also people feel bad the treatments have so many side effects. Do you know if there's any um, any research done? Is it actually been measured? Like how does the physical, daily physical activity of people in uh, cancer treatment change? during the process of treatment? Do you know if there's any data? There is data, and I'm not going to get it specifically right. Um, I can't give you, quote you exact numbers, but absolutely there is data that shows us that people who start treatment, um, the numbers, a colleague of mine presented uh, research from her uh, doctoral work that showed, I think, 10% of all of her uh, patients that were on treatment actually met the guidelines for physical activity. It really takes a big dip when people are on treatment. It comes back up a bit, but it never really, and you have to also put it in context. And this, I do think it's really important. The population in general is not meeting the physical activity guidelines. And so it's not as if we're saying everyone out there is doing it and cancer treatment's the reason that it all drops off. We're already starting with a population of people and I think this is really important. Um, people may not be doing it currently. And so they're not currently doing it. Then they're going to be given treatment that makes them feel bad. And then you're asking them to do something they have no experience doing. And, you know, as I said before, every run of mine doesn't feel great. Exercise is, there's, it feel, it's hard on your body sometimes, you know, but there's a difference between pain that's concerning and exerting yourself and teaching people what that feels like is hard to, you know, that's a challenge when they're already not feeling well and they're not used to it. Um, so being really aware that um, kind of introducing exercise to people who might not be doing it already um, and getting, in, you know, you, you still have to use all your good principles of, of exercise physiology and, and motivational change to encourage people because, you're not often getting people who are super active. Now, I will say in, in the work we did, the patients that were already active, like they were seeking out the exercise clinic like because they just want, you know, they were really after it. So the, the real challenge is how do we get those people who aren't doing it, who don't know about it? And um, that's where the oncologists play such a big role because if their doctor tells them to do it, then it feels like a part of their treatment and they're more 
open and accepting. It's not like this, you know, bad uh, image of what gym class felt like when they were in high school and they're, you know, something they, they have a bad taste in their mouth with. So I, that's, that's even more important than that there is maybe a co-located uh, fitness center or, or a gym because then um, the patients also feel that there is the expertise to guide them through this. So at least I see that. Yeah, I mean, I think the co-location part, I think that's um, that's really lovely and ideal. And I think if that can happen, that's great. I also think that we're um, being very pragmatic, as I tend to be. That's not realistic to ask of every treatment center. And I think, you know, I, I think it's the wrong message for me to say everyone needs co-located. That's the only way to do it. Co-located offers a lot of benefits and, and one huge one being the um, patients not needing to go somewhere else. But I think there's a lot of different ways to establish that trust. Um, and that's where uh, clinicians and exercise physiologists and, and the, the two worlds need to find ways to create partnerships so that when the doctor says, it's like, the, you might break a bone and the doctor says, okay, you need to go see an orthopedic doc. It's not co-located, but you know, you trust the referral they're giving you. And I think that's the way we've got to get. You need exercise. The, these are the people that we trust to do it. And that, I think, would be really powerful. And, and I would like to see those sort of partnerships being established um, be, for organizations. I think it's a good cost-effective way to do it so that, you know, not everybody feels like we have to build a gym on site. But if we can create ways to, to funnel our patients to someone that we trust, and it's one of the things in the work, the extension of the work um, I did in my PhD, actually one of the uh, Genesis Care sites is set up in a hospital that already has an existing exercise service. So we're looking at how can we partner with them, refer our patients there, but also get what we need from it. And some of those things we need are an easy referral pathway. So we're building that. And um, communication back from the exercise physiologists. I think one of the the pieces in closing that trust gap that we don't highlight enough is doctors currently tend to send patients to exercise physiologists, and the patients go, and that's the last the doctor hears of it. But if we can find meaningful results that the exercise physiologist is sending back to the doctor and there's a place that the doctor sees them and we're actually building that into the medical record at Genesis Care so that it raise, it, it shows up in the patient's uh, record that that it's it, it's another trigger to say oh yeah exercise is part of this this patient's care and I can see the results of it it's not just sort of a lost thing um, that happened. Uh, that I hear this from other uh, physicians uh, that you know it's very important that the is it then the that the exercise specialists send the follow ups and that the the physicians see what has what's going on and how how do the patients feel uh, how is the treatment going so that's probably one of the messages that in the physical activity and exercise field we should kind of take in and see how we can do better. Yeah, I think it's such a huge moment. I think one of the we we don't we're trying to figure out how to work with doctors and as I said before, we tend to just want to educate them. But here is a place where they don't need to you don't need to sit and educate them them about exercise. You need to show them like look how good your patient's doing. Thank you for sending them to me. These are the key outcomes. And I will say, um, 
one of my supervisors who was an oncologist, who's an incredibly practical, brilliant man, said, I'm an oncologist, like, so you do a sit to stand test for my patient. And you show me like the number that they did. And he's like, I don't care. I don't know what that number means. Put that in terms of of, of what I can understand. Your patient was able to do more of these, which means their their legs are stronger. So they're going to be, you know, more capable of walking up and down stairs, things like that. Um, I think we take for granted that doctors just know everything and they don't. And so finding the right way to communicate with them and, and, and uh, you know, again, it's really, I feel like everything's really about assessing need. What do the doctors want to see in their patients? What's going to make What's going to raise their awareness to say, wow, sending patients to this exercise professional has benefited my patient in ways that are meaningful to me. I'm going to keep doing that. And I think if you're an exercise professional trying to form relationships with doctors, those are the kinds of questions I would ask. What what do they want to see from their patients so that you can be feeding them that information back um, and you can really establish... um, uh, uh, you build trust and establish a meaningful, uh, beneficial relationship for both of you. So, um, y- your latest research was about uh, the implementation map- mapping protocol, which is kind of a roadmap for uh, other uh, places to achieve what you have done with Genesis Care and um, and your. Uh, E-M-R-I, was it? Exercise Medicine Research Institute? Yeah. yeah. So uh, Yeah, they, they call themselves yeah. Emory to make it yeah. simple. <laughs> okay, yeah. And uh, and was this was done in Australia. It was, was done in is, Australia, yep. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know if uh, the same has been done in other places uh, around the world? Um, so there are a lot of other exercise oncology services trying to um, that have formed meaningful partnerships with hospitals and clinics and things. Um, in you know the the implementation mapping process again that comes back to um, implementation science and I think it's it's important to note there's a lot of people doing this work outside the research field. What I'm trying to do because we've got a whole team of exercise oncology researchers as i said before the evidence you know is just growing exponentially year by year so many people are interested in this and what implementation science does is try to take the practical work that's happening and study it and and put it in put methods around it and in ways that other people can learn from it um, and so there aren't a lot um, i'm not sure really that there's many more than one or two other sort of exercise oncology professionals putting implementation science and publishing on it. But there are a lot of programs out in the world. It's one of the things um, the Moving Through Cancer Initiative has started to um, put together a referral database or a database of existing programs because one of the things we know is there is not a referral network and that was that was trying to kind of close that gap and so if you go to their uh, website you can kind of search where you are in the world and see if there's any exercise oncology programs what i'm interested in and what that implementation mapping protocol was doing is is really trying to set um, some standards for how we can integrate that into healthcare. Um, you know, as we said, there's with people living so much longer, uh, exercise sort of in the survivor phase, which 
um, really like post-treatment beyond is a huge and, and really, really important, but I think has different issues than trying to get it integrated during treatment. So as I said before, people can finish treatment um, as well and healthy as possible. Uh, it's such an important thing that you're doing. And um, um, what is your next project? What what are you going to do in the future? Do you? Yeah, well, for my immediate future plans, um, I'm, well, a couple of things. I'm working with the Moving Through Cancer Task Force um, to, uh, they identified uh three sort of key areas of need to, to meet their goal of uh, exercise being standard of care by 2029. So one is looking at the workforce, as I mentioned, so who's really out there and, and what, um, what do exercise oncology professionals need to know? So that's um, one piece that we're looking into. We're looking into policy issues and, and really what as I said before, policy is such a huge piece of this puzzle. Um, we need some policy changes to help facilitate this. Um, and so looking at other, um, looking at how it's been done in other ways and, and trying to see if we can come up with some policy um, goals to help this field achieve those same standards. And then looking at cost effectiveness. Again, there's no way around the fact that, that you know, Cancer, uh, exercise and cancer care has to be cost effective to do it. So we're doing a project around, um, around that. And then, um, personally, this extension of the work I've been doing, um, in Western Australia with Genesis Care and looking at, you know, what does, uh, integrating exercise into care for, um, a cancer treatment center look like is, um, my sort of next big project. So focusing on that in a lot of different ways. As I said, there's not a, certainly not a one size fits all to this. And, um, you know, as I've heard, when you've seen one, you've seen one. And what I'm hoping to do is kind of boil that down into, you know, everyone is going to be different. But what are the what are the key things that can kind of serve as a blueprint? So anyone trying to do this has a roadmap to start with, and you're not, um, you're not trying to do it alone. Definitely. And the and your your work is kind of a roadmap that you can see what are the barriers you might have or the organization. So I'm uh, wishing you all the best for your future work. And thank you so much for being here. Uh, just for, for my last question is where can our listeners find you? And um, is there is there any, any place you'd like to, um, you'd like people to know? Yeah, well, you can follow me on Twitter. My uh, Twitter handle is Mary A. Kennedy one. Um, and then I'm at the uh, Edith Cowan University and the Institute for Nutrition Research uh, website. You can find me there and, and the work that I'm doing and keep up to date with that. Okay, we will have all your details uh, in the prescription description of our podcast. So thank you, Mary. And thank you to all our listeners. This Great. is Practitioner's so Viewpoint. And we'll be back next Sunday. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate the rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, 
in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.